I go, people secretly and sometimes openly want to know how I can afford to travel year round. While I've spent over a decade traveling, I'm not even at the halfway point of seeing all 195 countries. However, there are quite a bit of people who have visited every country in the world. I plan to talk to all of them, asking them the sacrifices they've made to see every country, what were their favorites and least favorites, their craziest experiences, tips on how we can travel more, and yes, how they can afford to travel nonstop. I'm Kevin Liu, the host of the Pick My Adventure show, and I'm glad you're ready to hear what it takes to be one of the world's most traveled. Welcome Wani Spots to the show today. Wani, I am so thankful that you decided to do this interview with me because it's the first time that we have a woman on the show. And as you know, there's not very many female travelers who have traveled to every country in the world. So you're the first woman, you're representing uh, a, whole, uh, a whole continent pretty much, but also you are the first black woman to travel to every country in the world as well. So there's so many stories I and so many questions I have for you. But first off, tell me what made you want to travel to every country in the world? I first got into traveling where I was aware of it because I always traveled because my parents traveled. So when I first uh, traveled really on my own, uh, it was with a documentary. And the documentary was wanting to travel to every country. And I just was along for the ride. I was lucky enough to be um, chosen for the documentary and I just wanted to do it. I thought it sounded like fun and I had a flexible schedule. So if I was a few weeks late for school, uh, I could be able to make that up. So it was decided that uh, I would do, I would be one of the hosts on the, on the show. So we began to travel and got to 160 countries. And how long did it take to do those 160 countries? And I know that typically I, I don't do much research on my subjects just because we can have more uh, of a conversation during the interview, but I couldn't help read about your history because it's so fascinating, um, just your entire background. But you started your travels with your parents, I believe in the seventies. Mm -hmm. And then this show pretty much, uh, this documentary show started filming in the eighties, correct? 79 to 82. Oh, wow. So it took three years to cover those 160 countries. No, four years. It was going to take five years. Um, but the final year they didn't get the funding for it. And they, the producer was, having health issues. So everyone was waiting for the next time to come around. And the producer was like, you know, <laughs> I'm not really getting this set up. We really thought we had the five years to do this, but uh, we, it turned out that that fifth year didn't happen. And the people involved went on to do other projects and couldn't, uh, you know, just couldn't come back. I was waiting though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have so many questions about the documentary because to my knowledge that that footage has never seen the light of day. It's never been put out there at all. It um, is. It's, words. it's in, it was released in South Africa. Oh, and okay. It's a um, documentary, but it's old and I can't get a hold of it. Uh, people have hmm. seen it, commented on it. And but I can, and a lot of independent films end up like that. And it mm -hmm. also wasn't presented as one thing. It was cut into segments. And I don't even know how those segments were put together or how many segments there were, but I do know that it was, it was put out as a series because they couldn't say that they went to every country and present it as one thing. Uh. And what was the show like? So you were the host of the show. You were a teenager mm -hmm. at the time. Um, how old were you when you were doing the show? Um, 15 through 18. Wow. <laughs> and so what was the style of the show? When you were in these uh, countries, in these cities, what exactly mm -hmm. were you doing? Uh, I mean, nowadays okay. we have a, a travel show for everything. 
there's a travel show for food. There's a travel food, a travel show for extreme travel. You know, there's the amazing race. Uh, what style uh, did this show take on? The show basically took advantage of the fact that I was a younger person and that a lot of things would uh, gross me out or freak me out or be strange for a young person. It kind of took advantage of that. But basically I would interview somebody at the, at a government, you know, like a, like a government building, maybe some sort of political person and ask them about the town. We would go on hikes, look at different plants, animals in the area. We would check out the different, I'd say, archaeological sites that might be there if they had those. Um, anything that a person would go to travel, even like today when I travel, I still do the same things. I go for the animals. I go for the archaeological sites and I, I don't really go for clubs or anything like that. So I can't give recommendations for the hottest nightclub to go to because I would know nothing about it. Sure. Now, when you traveled from 15 to 18, what was going on like for your, this was continuous throughout the year. Were your parents on this trip no. or were you just out no. on your own with the production crew? I had um, the people on the production were friends of the family. So they were very close and I felt, you know, like I was in good hands the whole time. I had a chaperone who was a, a lady and then there were four other males, pilots and cameramen, basically. Um, that's it. So it was pretty awkward because I had a, I was a vegan, but I agreed to be a vegetarian. That was another bone of contention in some places. They don't have any kind of accommodation for that, especially during those years. Now it's totally different, but there are still some places where you have problems eating. So yeah, it was um, four months roughly per year, four straight months a year. Mm -hmm. Um, that's so you that's were covering uh, a lot of ground, 160 countries in 12 months. Mm -hmm. So that's that's no, about no. what uh, maybe oh, 12. Yeah, 12 months. You're right. Mm -hmm. You're right. 12 months. So maybe that was about 12 to 14 countries in those four months. Now, mm -hmm. I'd imagine since you had a producers on the set, you didn't really have to worry about getting visas, or or you're worried about you know. The navigational aspect of it. No, they um, had very now, good what would you say were your best? Uh -huh. They had very good logistics. Mm -hmm. um, the pilots and um, they were in the military, so they actually knew logistics. And the producer was in the, uh, also in the military and was a reporter. He had been a reporter overseas, so he had a lot of connections. So that when we entered the countries, we would be greeted by officials most of the time and that would help with the entry and exits. What would you say what would you say were your best experiences on this trip? Any countries that stood out to you and why? Okay, so the first year um of going the first places we went were the Caribbean and then over to South America. So the part that stands out for me is South America, the Patagonia area. That always stands out for some reason. It's so, I don't know what it is. It just feels like you're in, in the bottom of the world. The bottom of the world areas always stand out to me. So um, South Africa in the, you know, along the coast and that area. I went to that area again when I was going to Antarctica. So I really like that part of the world, just the way that it feels. It has a very uh, touching feel that makes me want to go back over and over again to visit. Just just to stay there, I don't even know why. I like the animals down there. You can see penguins if you plan it right. You can see those animals that look like uh, llamas. I forget the names of them. They have different names, but they're in the llama family. Um, mm -hmm. I like that more than just the islands and the beach because it, it 
started to blend together. You know, the islands like, well, which one was that? And it started to to become yeah. uh, repetitive. You know, you really have to seek out. Something I, I agree with you. Mm hmm. So, in so that sometimes part, when I think about. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying that sometimes when I think about some of the Caribbean islands that I've been to, like Barbados or Curacao or, you know, some of these islands there, I, I oftentimes can't remember which beach was where or, you know, which where did I see this? Because they all do kind of blend together. I'm not saying they all don't have great characteristics, but they in general, it is hard to differentiate. And I feel bad. I, I wonder whether sometimes my memory is going because I'm like, I, I don't remember if it was here or here. And I think that's just a negative, that's a negative aspect of traveling so frequently is like some places just start to blend together. I, I kind of relate it to when you watch a movie, maybe when you watch two movies in a day. Uh, and as a kid, I used to watch two or three movies in a day. Mm -hmm. And you kind of don't remember which part happened in which movie. Um, so l let me ask you, uh, I, I know that you did these travels when you were 15, uh, 15 to 18, but also you traveled so much as a child because your your father and your mother were professional uh, musicians, composers, songwriters, pianists, right. models. So you kind of grew up traveling so much. Do you feel like you maybe took a lot of it for granted or did you have a chance to appreciate it? Um, when I was a child, I did take it for granted. I didn't pay attention to where I was because I remember being, I think it was, um, might have been Japan. And I was like, can I get a cheeseburger? And everything just looked like a hotel then because there wasn't a big tour for me to say, this is this area, this is this area, this is this culture. It was just my father conducting a band. And that's all I would see as a hotel and you know, whatever he was doing. And I didn't get to um, see the uh, landscapes or the animals or the people or where they shop and what they do in these different places because I was just really in the hotel, um, really close to what my parents were doing at the time. But as an adult, those are all the things that I can, can see. You know, and I can get the, the enrichment that I want instead of because a lot of times my first idea was to go to a you know the best hotel i could afford and get mixed up in it but then i realized that i really love going to the yurt and staying in the yurt in mongolia and not staying in the fancy hotel in mongolia the yurt was really a moving experience that i i won't forget yeah so I want to also ask about the period from after your teenage years when the documentary stopped shooting mm -hmm. to when you decided to kind of continue this pursuit on your own to see every country. Because mm -hmm. at that point, you traveled to 160. There's about 35 still to go. Yeah. Uh, did you not travel from this period? I believe you, you took up the travels again. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the shooting ended in 81 or 82? 82. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 82. 82. So from 82 to when you started continuing travel again, which was, I think, 2000, uh, what year was it when you started traveling to complete well, the journey? At around 2005, I traveled because I was looking for another country to move to. So it wasn't to go to every country. It was mm -hmm. I was just like checking out different places and saying, what's going on over there? Maybe I want to move out of it you know, out of the United States. I didn't like what was going on, similar to now. And I was auditioning countries. Yeah. So I went over to see what, whether I would like it. And then I ended up coming back to, I was living in New York at the time. I ended up coming back to California and living in a different part of California. I lived in San Diego for a while. And, uh, Around 2014, I started thinking, because I had gone to France and hung out in that area, I said, why don't I go to all of the countries that I didn't go to? And uh, that's really when it 
got into my head that, hey, I didn't see major countries or I didn't see countries the way that I wanted to see them or I missed things. And so since I'm going to be nearby this one, I could see perhaps I already went to that country, but I want to see it again because I didn't see what I wanted to see. So that's when I began to travel between 2014 and 2008. So between 1982 and 2005, when you were auditioning countries, mm -hmm. did you not travel much or was it mostly just in the United States? Uh, yeah, I didn't travel much. I was busy in school and uh, I just had a lot of things piled on me that I had to accomplish. And it just... It just, you know, years just slipped away. That's why it took 40 years because you can get caught up in, you know, having a relationship and working and uh, going to school and doing all these away. I can't get away. I have to ship things. I have to do things. And my boyfriend's not interested in going to these places. Every situation I was in was anti-travel. You know, and even if, you find someone who wants to travel, they will not want to travel and do what you want to do. So it's very special to find someone who wants to travel to to those places, far-flung places, which are the places that I like, and wants to do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Because they may say, yeah, I want to go to Mexico, but I want to go to a bar and drink all night. And that's yeah. not what I would want to do. So finding the similar travel styles, mm -hmm. because yeah. I find it rare these days, especially with social media, which I want to get into in a, in a bit. But mm -hmm. with social media these days, I feel like everybody wants to travel. Uh, yeah. Finding the right style of traveler is, I think, important. Mm -hmm. I think as I've traveled more, I, I'm not close to where you're, you're at. I'm, I'm at 97 countries now. And for me, I'm starting to get to the point where I've already gotten to the point where I just like destinations where tourists don't go to. I mm -hmm. like going to these places that there's a lot more to discover that I don't know much about. Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot more interesting. And I actually do enjoy having a drink with a local uh, and traveling solo. You, you have to put yourself out there. And I don't really do as many tours, but I, I appreciate just going out and trying to figure out the bus schedule, the transportation <laughs> schedule, the train schedule, and going into a bar and having a drink with a local and talking. And that's yeah. what I really enjoy now. But I realized that when I start traveling with my future wife, she's mm -hmm. probably not going to want to go to like some of these very remote destinations, these places that know that there's probably not an Instagramable picture anywhere. <laughs> um, now, can I ask you about, uh, you know, with your travels, uh, you started traveling before social media was even around. Right. And now that social media is kind of blown up, have you started to uh, adopt a lot of uh, social media? Because there is this whole contingent of followers who are very interested in these travelers who have been to every country. Um, I'm still um, yeah. I still have not um sorry. I still have no not wanted to um be so I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. Um so I still don't feel comfortable going, hey, this is what I had for breakfast, this is where I am. I just don't feel like doing that. It feels unnatural and when I first came out, people were like, no, you've got to put pictures up. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You have to be in heavy competition with all these people. This is how you do it. And they gave me really good advice. I'm not saying that their advice wasn't, wasn't good, but it felt uncomfortable. I didn't feel comfortable doing it. So I just stopped and put some pictures up and I just stopped um, doing it because I, I felt like, I, I'm not a model and I did not put travel together with being a sexy model. Okay. So those to me are two separate things, but 
Uh, it's not that I don't like the pictures that I see. It's not that I don't get inspired to travel when I see them, but I did not feel like, I just felt like the travel was personal for me and not really something that I was going to share with everybody. So, um, you know, I, I'm not against, mm -hmm. but I just didn't go there to make a sexy pose in those places. Uh, maybe I will do something more professional in the future, but those are just pictures for me. Any picture you see was just me saying, hey, I was on the Great Wall of China and that's it. You know, it was just for me. It wasn't for yeah. social media at all. Although I have to say, I, I did go to your Instagram and your, I, I, I think some of your posts, your last posts, I think were in 2019, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But I, I have to say, it wasn't just about the pictures. It was also about the captions. Your captions are actually very thoughtful. I, I find that a lot of people, they write captions these days and then they just write a travel quote. Uh, or maybe just the historical significance of the place they visited. Your right. captions are actually a, a revelation because you are, they're thoughtful. So if, if anything, even if the pictures aren't great, it's also kind of like a little diary for you. And so those, the, the captions that you posted, I really appreciate it. I, I don't know if you spent a lot of time on them or not, but I really like the aspect that you, you put in there about, you know, make it, making it a little more thought provoking. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, again, I didn't. I, I don't even know. I just came, kind of pushed in there like that. You know, I didn't have a plan to, to do anything online. Sure. Uh, let me ask. I know that you you came forward reluctantly because another traveler had come out there and say they were going to be the flat, first black woman to travel to every country in the world. Right. And you you touched upon this a little bit before about how your friends encouraged you to come out and yeah. tell your story. But right. tell me, why? what are your thoughts about the other woman who claims to be the first woman to travel to every country in the world uh, and the, the subsequent amount of media attention that she got? Now, I'm a little bit disappointed because I uh, am a former journalist and I'm disappointed with the, the, with the journalists who didn't do uh, due diligence who didn't a lot of times when they when there's a travel story a lot of reporters they don't take the time to do a little bit of research they take everyone's claim at value so I, i'm curious as to you know what your thoughts are on uh on the other traveler who claims to be the first black woman to travel to every country in the world well that is something that really threw my life in a new direction I did not expect the hostility from traveling. That is something that blindsided me that someone would be hostile to me and then have uh, others of their same group be hostile toward me. And I didn't, I didn't have a group on the internet to defend me. So I was just sitting there being blindsided and attacked for traveling, being called a liar, being told that you're not a real person, you're a boy in your mother's basement, you're, you know, and I had to actually prove that I was a real person because they didn't believe I was a real person. And um, it blindsided me. And I had um, the Wikipedia page, and that was vandalized and torn down, and uh, finally got back together again when the editors realized that I was the first person to travel to every country. And um, it was very, uh, it, it was a hostile situation. And knowing that these larger publications knew about me, they definitely knew I existed. And they chose to ignore me because they chose to cover the other person that was pumping out content that they could use. It's really just, uh, several factors which i won't get into that made it where they just wanted to ignore me and make me go away i can tell you from the journalistic side it is uh more of a story if they can title it the first black woman and trying to and of course media needs something to happen at that moment to be able to cover it so 
for them, it's almost like they couldn't cover it if they were to say it was the second black woman to travel to every country because they couldn't cover your story because it didn't just happen. So there needs to be some immediacy with the story. So I apologize for all that happened to you with that in that regard. Um, I can I, what I've also found interviewing the travelers who have traveled to every country in the world is that it is a very petty and catty community. Uh, so I interviewed a man by the name of Gunnar Garfers, and he had been to every country twice. And there's other people who was, who were just saying, oh, well, he wasn't the first or, you know, there's another person who did it. Uh, I interviewed a, a man by the name of Graham Hughes, and he was recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records for traveling to every country without getting on a plane. And wow. then there was an online That's trolls. What's that? That's a good one. Yeah. That's no, a really it, good I, it, Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, he had to cool. wait for like, uh, for basically, yeah, it was an, a, from talking to him. It was so interesting because it's not an easy journey to do that without getting on a plane. He had to get on cargo boats and, you know, just trains and, uh, you know, not getting on commercial flights is, is really tough, but it was really fascinating. But there was people online who said he's not his record shouldn't be recognized because he took a little break to go visit his sick sister. And even though Guinness said it's fine if you come back to the place that you left off and continue it, but people were saying he's, he shouldn't be recognized. There's another guy who's done it. And what I found out with the, a lot of these firsts is that they're all, they don't acknowledge each other, but they all want to have that claim to be the first person. So uh, I, I, I found it to be a, a kind of a turnoff in that community, but everyone I've spoke to is, are they great people? I'm sure if I spoke to, Jessica, or if I spoke to, I think, I believe his name is Thor. Uh, if I spoke to these people, I'm sure they'd be great people as well, but I'm sure that they would probably throw shade at the other person who's claiming to be first because their brand is, is predicated on being the first. So it's unfortunate aspect of this, this travel industry. Um, so let me ask uh, of the the so the remaining thirty five countries that you did after having done one hundred and sixty over you know forty years ago when you were doing the remaining countries you did this all on your own did you travel solo? That's an interesting question. I started off alone from my house, and I ended up in different groups. So, like for instance. And I didn't just have it in my mind just to do countries because I went to Easter Island, the Galapagos, and Antarctica, and those are countries. So um, I wanted to go to the places that I wanted to go to. And the rest of the countries were on the list along with the other places. So, again, when you go to Easter Island, you could get on the plane alone. But then when you get ready to go see the heads, you're going to go with a group because you're not going to, they just, that's just the way they do it. When you're in Antarctica, I can't go alone because I'm on a cruise ship. And then from the cruise ship, there's like a, um, it's like an icebreaker ship. And then they have a Zodiac boat that you get on. And then that will take you over to the islands where you'll see penguins and stuff like that. So you can't go alone because that, that's impossible. I cannot, you know, sail my own boat up and, <laughs> and you know, throw out a, a Zodiac boat or a kayak and do something alone. I have to go with a group. So some of these places, Galapagos, sure. I literally don't remember how I got there. There was so many taxis, water taxis, and things I, there's like a part missing or something and then all of a sudden i was at the hotel and they said oh no you're still this isn't it you have to wait for the ship to come to take you to the different islands to see the different things because it's not all on one island so the blue-footed boobies are one place and then these other things are this place and so you you can't see it you can't just go fly over there and go oh i'm in the galapagos i see everything it you need you yeah. need assistance. So I started off alone, but I ended up 
um, in a group. And it was fun. I mean, I, I loved the group. But again, those were people that probably had fun because they were people that wanted to do what I wanted to do. And so we all thought it was fun. Uh, Wani, can I ask you to center the camera just a little bit more? Oh, uh, your the, your face is a little bit off screen. Yeah, I want to make sure people can see. It. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so, so one of my uh, questions was, because your previous travels have been kind of under the care of a production crew, this time when you were traveling, you had to do the organization, right? So what was that like? Did you enjoy this process? Did you, do you realize how difficult it was to have gone to the 160 countries now that you did all the remaining countries uh, where you planned everything on your own? The logistics is unbelievable in some of these situations. Um, and even with support, because I used tour companies um, to help me with it. And it still, you know, has glitches here and there. So it's tough when you're out there going to all those countries in a row, things don't line up sometimes. I did appreciate it. I basically, when I travel, I put together what I want to do and in the way I want to do it. And then the, the travel companies will come along and want to sell you what they want you to do. They don't, they're not used to dealing with people with strong opinions about about what they want to do in a place. So they'll say, oh, no, you're going to do, you're going to zip line and then you're going to go over to this bar. You're going to go on a wine tour. It's like, no, I'm not. I guess I don't drink wine. They're like, no, we're, this wine tour is what you're going to do. No, it's not. So it's kind of some arm wrestling going on. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm pretty firm in what I want to do and what I'm going to, what's going to make me like the trip. So I do put it together but I let them do the, a lot of the logistics. There are some little inter-country flights, domestic flights within countries that I can't even see. Or there's some little charter flights that <clears throat> are inexpensive that I don't know about. And they know, hey, all you have to do is take a two-hour flight over here and it's $50. But I can't see that online. So they do have to... Uh, do some of these things like in places like Kazakhstan uh, where, you know, you could save driving eight hours by taking a flight. Yeah. I let them do it. Mm -hmm. So what is your style? You said you don't drink wine. You're not into going to the bars or the clubs. What is, what are, what are the, what is your style of travel? What do you enjoy the most uh, when you talk to the tour guides or the tour operators, what do you tell them that this is what I want to see and this is what I want to do? Well, I always want to know the history of the place. I really go into the ancient culture of it. For me, it makes me, um, it's a good starting point. And then I can look around and see where people are now and what they're doing now. But it helps me to start at the earliest points of that area. And I view the areas as regions now instead of individual countries. So um, I will just pick out some part, you know, different places in South America to visit. I will pick out, I would never go to each individual Caribbean island at this point. I'll probably pick out one that I wanted to visit that I like the best and I just go by regions and get a feel of the area. But I let them know that, yes, I like animals and I want to stay in a, a traditional housing like um, a hacienda. It's fun to stay in um, over a hotel, a regular standard hotel. Um, so animals and traditional living is one is number one and then the archaeological sites in the area or anything um it could be anything it could be ruins of a building or it could be a dinosaur footprint it just depends on where i am or what they want to what they can show me so those are the main things I, I do like to go to the cultural shows to see um you know what dances and singing and artwork that people do. So those are some of the things that I do. 
that I like to do. But it does, um, I probably won't be going to any nightclubs or, or drink. I mean, I don't drink, so. But I like going to the vineyard. That's yeah. ironic. I like vineyard tours, but I just don't drink wine. Uh -huh. Yeah. No, I I think vineyards. Uh, I I do drink, but I do love the vineyard tours because mm -hmm. it's they're just beautiful. The way that they do the tasting rooms mm -hmm. are are just gorgeous. Um, so because you're going mostly through tour agencies, does, does that mean that you don't? You're not staying in hostels. You're not backpacking. You're not. Um, <laughs> no. You're 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 not budget traveling. I'm I'm no I'm not budget traveling. No, mm -hmm. I feel like I've paid my dues on um, some of those things. And so I want to be comfortable. It's a balance. Yes. I want to be comfortable, uh, but then mm -hmm. I don't mind getting dirty and messed up and climbing and somewhat suffering to see what I want to see. And then I want to go back to the hotel and relax and feel comfortable. Yes, absolutely. I, I tell people I'm not a backpacker or a budget traveler i'd say i'm kind of business casual because I, I i have one foot in the real world where i actually work in technology uh, i just work remotely so it allows me a little bit more comfort um but that's not to say i haven't stayed in hostels before and i actually enjoy hostels because you meet so many people and a lot of times you're in countries where they don't speak Eng i speak english spanish and mandarin and a lot of times you're in countries that don't speak any of those three languages and you get tired of not talking to anyone all day. And so a lot of times I have stayed in hostels. I'll get a single in a hostel. But even before then, I have no problem staying there because it's just part of the experience. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, uh, because a lot of my uh, listeners, a lot of my friends, they're always curious, how do you afford to travel? Uh, can I ask, how are you able to afford to travel because uh, my listeners would definitely want to know what they can do to get on the same path. Well, I don't have any responsibility. So I just, uh, you know, save up money throughout the years and put it away for that. I don't have some of the responsibilities that my peers have with children and stuff like that. So uh, it's pretty easy because of, I don't have high expenses and I am a minimalist. so. I am very choosy about what I spend money on. I prioritize travel. That's good. Can I ask what you've done for work uh, in the years leading up to the completion of your trip? It's been very boring. I've just done e-commerce. And I got into that. I went to school for a whole lot of stuff, and I ended up doing e-commerce, just buying things wholesale and selling them to people that sell online and I did that for since 1999 and I kind of tailed off a bit kind of semi-retired but uh, basically that's what I do I see uh so let me ask you now what do you have plans for in the future travel wise are you still traveling because I know you completed your travel uh the 195 countries in 2018 Right. So because you completed the travels in 2018, what did you do after that? Did you take a break again? Are you looking uh -huh. uh, to travel some more? I took a break. I was writing various books on different topics. I wanted to get that out of my system. Um, and I have been focusing on traveling in the United States. I have completely shamefully ignore the United States as a travel destination because everything else looks so exotic and so interesting. I never even considered, I mean, I, my parents drove across the country a couple of times, well, maybe three times. And so I did see a lot of the country, but not, you know, driving through is not seen. So, uh, I did see some of the things that I wanted to see since I had uh, really neglected the United States has some really interesting things that I neglected, especially in that four corners area where they have that uh, in Arizona, where they have that wave mountain, you know, the one with the swirl 
designs on it. It's like a cave. Uh, yeah, I did visit that. I went there during the pandemic. Uh, oh. Horseshoe Bend. Yeah, that whole area has yeah. some really, really cool things to visit. So we that's have number one on your list. What, what else would be high on your list? Well, um, what's that? It still seems uh, exotic to go other places. So I'm not going to say it doesn't. It mm -hmm. does. So the Lapland is on the list. I already went to the North Pole, which was one something I wanted to do. I went to Greenland. But mm -hmm. I still didn't go to Lapland. And that's where I think I'm going to have more fun. Mm. They're also uh, set up for tourism where Greenland was like, ugh, what do these people want? <laughs> mm -hmm. The part of Greenland that I went to, <laughs> it was like, they closed the store on us. We, we got off the plane and uh, they were like, oh, Lord, what, what do these people want? And they literally closed the post office dash store so that we would just go away. But wow. the museum was cute. I liked the museum. Sure. It wasn't, yeah. you know, it was not set up for tourism. But the Lapland is, and then I'll get to see everything. I'll get to see the, the plants that I like, the pine trees. I'll get to see the reindeer. Mm -hmm. So I'll get to see all of the um, aspects that I like to do when I travel. I'll get to meet the people and uh, look at the landscapes. So are there some destinations you can recommend to people that's not well known or not very popular that you think people should go visit that should be more popular? Um, the Basque region is very interesting in Spain. I think it gets neglected a lot. Um, I have that on my list again. I've been there before, but a long time ago. I went to Spain recently, but I went to the Basque region years ago. So that's on my list. Um, and what would you say is your your favorite country in the world? Oh boy, that's so hard because it really depends on. Uh, I don't like to pick one because I like aspects of different regions i like to say regions like i like the mediterranean region but then again i like antarctica i like the patagonia region leading to antarctica something about that region feels special but you know i'm not going to move to antarctica or hang out over there that much it's kind of a a short-term place where I would live in the Mediterranean area. It's livable for me. Some places mm -hmm. I like for just to be there for a short period of time and other places I would live there because it's so beautiful. So it really depends on what we're talking about, you know, as far as favorite. When mm -hmm. you say favorite, do you mean, do I like it so much I'd move in or I'd, <laughs> I'd live there? Yes. I always have to ask this question because it's, I'm sure you get this all the time, but it's everyone's favorite question to ask. What's your favorite cu country? Uh -huh. And it is hard. I always say the same thing that you just said. It says it depends on what you're asking me about of my favorite place to live that I could live there or my favorite tropical destination or my play favorite um, culinary country. There's just so many different aspects that, that can be thrown into that equation. So I guess uh, I know that you said you were auditioning new countries in 2005. Well, what would be the country that you could see yourself living in, in the future? I would live in the South of France or Southern Spain or Portugal. Like I said, the Mediterranean is, uh, I really like it. I like Monaco, but I think it might be too small. I kind of outgrew it because I could walk across the country from Italy to France. It's like, boom, I'm done. That's it. That's the country. It's very mm -hmm. small. So I, but you can just walk over to France if you get bored. So it doesn't matter. It, you're not going to get bored. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, right. I, I like that That's area. actually how I visited. Well, I didn't walk over. I, I took a scooter. 
Yeah. What about your, what about your most harrowing experiences, your most uh, uncomfortable experiences? Did you have bad experiences in any of these countries? Yes. Um, I had lots of issues in Mexico for some reason. Um, I was held hostage in a souvenir shop. And during the same trip, wow. the guy at the hotel tried to steal my passport. So I don't know what was happening. And then they were trying to make us miss the flight because they changed the terminal and I don't speak Spanish, but I was like, did they change the terminal? And I'm looking around because something feels suspicious, like they changed the terminal. And they're talking amongst themselves, and they don't tell us that they changed the terminal. And I'm getting suspicious, like, they changed it. We have to get, <laughs> we have to get on this, this bus and, and do these things. And it was like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this to us? Because it was just me and a couple of other Americans were sitting in an area and we had to guess, like, mm -hmm. do we need to go somewhere or like what's happening? So I did have my worst times in Mexico for some reason. Um, but no, it's too I bad. Kind of, uh, it... Stay under the radar when I travel and just, uh, you know. Try not to get into trouble. Well, you can't finish this. You can't, you can't just move on from the story without telling the hostage story. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm curious as to how that played out and, and what happened there. Whew, I was you can't start that and, and not finish it. Yeah, I was forced to buy a $200 souvenir. And then I, I told the tour company what happened, and so I didn't have to buy it. But... Yeah, I, I went for an agave, it was an agave farm, and the guy goes, do you want to come in for a tour of an agave farm? And I'm with the tour guide. And so I said, sure, why not? We're about to go to this other site, and this is nearby, so I'll go and look around the farm. After the farm, he wanted to give me tequila, and I don't drink. So then we ended up in the souvenir part of the, the store, and... Uh, he closed all the doors and locked them. <laughs> and my tour guide is hmm. standing near yeah. one of the doors, giving me a quizzical look. And he's like, well, don't you want to buy one of these souvenirs? And I said, no, I, you know, I don't because I have to carry all these things and I can't buy this big basalt uh, heavy statue. I, I don't have room for this in my suitcase and I have other places I'm going. This is the first place in a line of places that I was going. I didn't want anything that heavy. He mm -hmm. said, well, this is the cheapest thing that we have. So, you know, you have to buy it. Don't you want to support my family? And I was like, oh, <laughs> this guy is really mm -hmm. losing it. He kept grabbing at my purse to get my credit card out. It was basically uh, robbery. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was, you know, I was, no, I've definitely been around some, um, I did. Uh, I, that's to... gotta be very scary. It was, there's a delay in the, mm -hmm. the recording. Sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. So I, I've been in situations where I've done different tours to see different monuments. And at some point, they will take you through tour shops. I feel like it's, you know, it's just a backroom handshake deal that they'll bring the group into the gift shop. And I'm sure the tour guides get a cut of anything sold. So they're pretty much working in favor of you buying something. But that's yeah. scary. I, I've been in back rooms before where I'm like, how did I end up here? Why do I feel so much pressure now to buy something? And you know, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But I mean, that's a, a scary situation. I'm sorry you're involved in that. Um, now, I want to ask you a little bit. Uh, I had some some of the listeners who had some questions for you. And one was, which country has been the most uh, difficult being a woman? Well, I'll say what stands out is Morocco. 
I love Morocco and it's not really that hard on, you know, it's not visibly hard, but I am basically confused. It would be better if it was just women can't do this and women can't do that. And I knew it. But what's confusing is when I can't go swimming and the men can go swimming on a hot day. But I have to have a belly dancer gyrating on me when I'm eating lunch. When I, it's like, wait a minute, didn't you say I couldn't wear certain things and do certain things, but now I have a belly dancer entertaining me that I don't want? And so it, mm. you know, I think I get triggered by the hypocrisy of things. If I see hypocrisy, then I mm -hmm. kind of get, you know, angry. But again, um, I'm not there to challenge their behavior or beliefs. I'm really just trying to fly under the radar. I know that yeah. I'm not going to like certain foods. I know that I would never eat certain things. I would never, you know, tolerate being uh, marginalized in my real life. But this is not my real life. This is a place that I'm, you know, wanting to see. And I have to go along with what's going on. So I don't really get that angry. I know that that's how they are. I know that that's where they are. And maybe they don't want to advance to somewhere else. Maybe that's just the way they want to be. And that's fine. As long as I wasn't born into it and I don't have to, to, to deal with it on a long-term basis. But you'll find that behavior in most sure. of the Middle Eastern countries. You know, that's just the way it is. Yeah, I I think it's unfortunate. I mean, you have some countries where, and you look at the Taliban, where women aren't allowed to go to school now, or mm -hmm. some countries yeah. where women have to cover up because of their religion, and the men don't have to do the same thing. And right. I don't want to get into a a religious, um, you know, discussion. Right. But uh, what about being what about being black? Has that played a part in any of your travels? Have you ever experienced any type of racism in your trips? Well, I'll say I've seen racism. Yes, I have experienced racism. Um, a lot of times, curiosity is mistaken for racism. Some places have never seen a person like me or any shade of Black person. You just really have not. They're not even very tourist, uh, not used to tourists. So even when they see another person that's not like them, they're shocked. So you have to realize that some of the attention you may get is curiosity. Okay. And a lot of the attention that I get is really just basic curiosity. I have suspected people of being racist. And I have experienced things that I know are racist, but it just pops up anywhere. It's not like a particular place. It really is not a particular place. And you can be in Africa and have ethnic bigotry toward you. Uh, you could be called names when you're in Africa shopping. You could be uh, triple charged in Africa. So there's just no way to know when this is going to crop up, you know, it, I don't know when it's going to happen. I can't say, well, if I go over here, everyone's going to dislike me. Or if I go here, everyone's going to like me. I really don't know what's going to to happen in any place that I visit. I really just don't know. Sure. But you have not had any experiences where directly you felt this person's treating me this way because of the color of my skin. Yeah, yeah. I felt that, you know, hmm. mostly here though, but <laughs> mostly in America. But sure. I mean, I'm not there yeah. well enough to not like when you're a tourist, you're not really, they know you're a tourist and they know you're not trying to get resources or get something from the country. So that removes you a bit from any kind of hostilities. 
if they think you're an immigrant or someone coming to get something that could cause um, uh, racism towards someone, as long as they feel like you're a tourist, then you'll you won't have as much. But if they don't, if they feel like, oh, you're a person trying to move in on our territory and get our resources, then yeah, you could you could face some backlash. They most of the countries do have sure. backlash for foreigners. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed Romaine Wells. I, I think the reason why I actually know that you exist is because of Romaine. And Romaine's a great guy, and everyone speaks so highly of him in the travel community, but just definitely a great guy. But he was saying the only place he experienced racism in his, all of his travels was the U.S. So, yeah. you know, you're not wrong there. I, I, I feel like whenever I'm in the States, you always have to worry about your race. You have to, for being such a diverse country, it's, on the back of every, it's in the back of everyone's minds, which is such yeah. an unfortunate thing. Now, did you notice in, you know, 70, 79 to 82, 83, like in that period, you probably didn't see as many tourists in these countries. Right. In right. travel, not every country had their own airline at this point. Right. Uh, what were the main differences that you've seen in these countries compared to your travels uh, of, of recent? Well, you're right. Um, some of the places that I visited, uh, they did not. They never saw anyone from the outside, and they just were very curious and didn't know what we were doing there. Um, <clears throat> where now, most places that you go to are going to recognize you as a tourist. There's still a few places where they're not going to understand it, but most places have some sort of tourism now, even if they're on the do not uh visit list there's still there's there's a company taking people around afghanistan now and it's such a shame because that whole area has the most beautiful lakes and mountains that i've ever seen turquoise water and just beautiful mm -hmm. um places in sure northern india all of the stands they just have mm -hmm. that look you know, the Hunza Valley, Kashmir, yeah. uh, and there's a whole lot of them. There's different lakes in different settings. And it's it's sad that some of those places are plagued with violence and people can't get in or mm -hmm. there's no access or it's dangerous to go. It's a shame because it's such a beautiful place. Yeah. I feel like there's so much more turmoil these days than there was uh yeah. during that period so many conflicts between neighboring countries now what is your opinion on these country chasers now you you have a proliferation of people who are racing to see every country and they want to be the youngest they want to be the fastest they want to be the first well, what is your feeling on these people doing uh, chasing these records both ways uh for me it was more of a personal thing. Like, well, I've gone to all these countries. Why don't I go to the rest of them? I'm almost there. When I heard about the records, I said, hey, I could do that too because I'm almost there. So it, it it's interesting to do it, but it's not interesting when you're rushing through the countries when you're just racing through, you know, standing in front of something. Yeah, I'm in front of this. Okay, bye. That's kind of insulting to me. You know, <laughs> it just feels mm -hmm. like you're using the country somehow. So I just wish that people would at least um, visit a little bit longer, but they can if they're trying to break a record of who's going the fastest. So it seems like a waste of travel to go the fastest. Yes, I agree. My last interview that I published was with a guy named Indy Nelson, and he did all of the countries in uh, 539 days, and which is the fastest. And he said basically he spent uh, about 36 hours in every country. I mean, some countries he, in Dem Democratic Republic of Congo, he was there for 25 minutes. 
for me, I that seems like blasphemy for me as a traveler because I want to be there. I like I said, I want to have a drink with a local. I want to walk around. I want to get lost. But for him, he's actually a tech product manager today. So he works in tech and he really loves organizing. He loves planning. So I asked him, I said, how did you get any enjoyment out of that? And for him, he said he did 100 hours of research on how he could get to Democratic Republic of Congo, how he could get that visa, how he can get in and out uh, quickly. So for him, it was all about the planning. He actually booked 100 tickets, 100 airline tickets beforehand, not leaving too much room for error. And so for him, it was more like a jigsaw puzzle where he could kind of organize everything to make this trip happen on a tight schedule. He just enjoys it. So for I also felt like, okay, you know, it, it's I feel bad that he didn't get to enjoy the countries, but for him, he enjoyed it. And I was like, that's the most important thing. And if, if that's what you got out of it, that's great. And he set a record from it. Um, <laughs> so uh, final question, Wani, uh, now that do you watch any of these travel shows today? I mean, do you know Anthony Bourdain or uh, any of these travel shows where they are doing a lot of extreme travel regions? Here and yeah. there. No. Do you ever wonder what could have been? In what? Do you wonder what could have been if your documentary had come out? Because at that point, oh. you would have been a, a pioneer in terms of show-wise doing a, a travel show like this before it's time. Uh, do you actually, wonder what, what could have happened? Uh, I really don't think about that because I am kind of shy and I just didn't want to be on television. So I probably wouldn't have pursued wanting to do that. So I just, do you no. I like the I like travel shows and like I said I like the Instagram posts and they do make me want to revisit places and see places in another way and see what other I like to see what other people are doing in these places it gives me ideas but it's not mm -hmm. um you know I wouldn't want to have a travel show no because like Anthony What would you say is your favorite I was just going to say, uh -huh. Anthony is like, he was eating all kinds of things and really diving in. And I'm not going to dive in like that. I'm going to do what I'm comfortable doing. And that's probably not going to be the best show. It's really more of a show if you're going to go and, you know, eat a scorpion on a stick. And this, uh, you know, that makes uh -huh. sense. That's more interesting than sure. going through saying, ew, I'm not going to eat, you know, uh, this type of thing, or I'm not going to eat a lizard, or I'm not going to eat this or that. It's more interesting that way someone is uh, adventurous enough to try everything. Well, Wani, I want to thank you so much for the time. It's been so interesting and uh, learning about your life and your background. And I still want to see that documentary that was done. I'm going to see, because I was a former journalist, maybe maybe I can pull, I don't, I don't know if I have any journalistic ties that will be able to get me access there, but I, I'm going to try. I, I don't, do, you, do you remember what was the name of the, yeah, what was it called? It's called Passing Through. Passing Through, Passing. okay. I'm going to see if I can find it. I, I looked up the, I mean, no yeah. I looked up, uh, I, I even researched Nolan Davis, who was the producer on the documentary. And it, and, and I'm sorry, it, it seemed like he passed away at an early age. So um, it's unfortunate. But yeah, I would love to see that. I mean, going to 160 countries of that age and the footage. I mean, if you had access to the raw footage, just it would be and fun I'm to look at, I'm sure. Unable to reach his son. I saw that his son left um, like a notice on one of his books and I've never been able to contact his son or daughter, which who I knew when I was a child. So maybe if I can locate them mm -hmm. somehow, they might have some of the footage yeah. of it. You know, they may have some raw yeah. tapes. So I'm still working on it. Still trying sure. to find them. Yeah.
and possibly somebody out there listening. Nolan Davis passing through. Yeah. He's a journalist. He wrote a book. Uh, I believe it was Six Black Horses. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so if anyone out there is listening and is a better sleuth and stalker than I am, then let's help Wani get that footage yes. so she could see her travels It'll from, be embarrassing, but... from 40 years ago. So. <laughs> Sure, it would be fun to look at. Wani, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate thank it. You for having me. It's been fun. Remember, you can find more information about today's interview subject at pickmyadventure.com and discover more interviews. Don't forget to subscribe. See you next time on Pick My Adventure. I'm your host, Kevin Liu. You can find out more about me on Instagram at Pick My Adventure Traveler, where I let you pick my destinations and travel activities through polls. Uh -huh.